Draw, Lose or Draw, a podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. Joining me this week after 17 episodes to finally discuss the first league win since we started this podcast back in February are Reese Aldane. Hello Reese. how are you? I'm great man, it feels brilliant to finally be here to talk about three points. <laughs> it certainly does. Uh, Jamie McDonald's here, hello Jamie. Uh, it's good to be back and yeah, it's fantastic to finally have a win to talk about in the league. Mantreat Singh's here, thanks to an extra hour in bed. How are you Mantreat? I'm good, but what a difference it is having three points. And David Forrest has passed his late fitness test this week, and he's also here to t- talk about yesterday's win. Hello, David. Hello. So, Jamie, I'll come to you first. Uh, we talked la- on last week's episode about changes to the side that would like to be made uh, from last week's disappointing defeat, Clyde. Uh, four changes were made to the side, but a couple of the positions we spoke about didn't see changes, so Ricky Foster stayed in at right back and Shea Gordon uh, kept his place in the number 10 role with Spittle coming into the side, playing one side of him with Conor Murray and the other. Uh, what did you make of the starting 11 yesterday? I can't lie, when I first saw the starting 11, it didn't fill me with confidence going into the game. No Sned and no McKenna, it was a big blow before kick-off. I mean, both of them have been fantastic. So not having them on the side was a bit of a worry. Lyons been on the bench as well, to be honest, it wasn't what I was wanting to see. And McCall had mentioned he was still finding fitness, but I was hoping he'd come up to speed for enough for a start by now. But it's good to see him come off the bench later in the game. Uh, Foster starting ahead of Williamson, he mentioned, was, uh, wouldn't have been my choice. Uh, when I first saw Foster sign, I thought it was a great bit of business for the club. And I thought he'd been a standout in this league. But so far, he just hasn't looked up to speed. He's looked underwhelming. I know he's possibly been carrying a back injury and uh, it's still early days, but it's definitely not what anyone's been hoping from him so far. Williamson's the kind of player who, when he gets forward to join the attack, links up well with wingers, gets assists, and I thought he would have suited yesterday's game, especially in the wide pitch at Far Hill. Uh, Gordon starting, it's not that I don't want to see him in the team, it's just that I thought that in number 10 role, Spittle would have done better in that role. But obviously, um, Gordon and Spittle both played well when they were on the pitch in the positions they were in, so I'm not going to be complaining about it. In the end, the team got us to three points, and that's really what matters. So the team selection now doesn't really matter. Uh, Reese, we started the game yesterday pretty slowly. We fell behind in the first half to a Dale Carrick goal. Uh, we grew into the game as it went on. What did you make of the performance overall? Um, just just going back to on Jamie, what Jamie was touching on there, like I just feel like Fissel have this incredible fucking ability to drain any bit of enthusiasm that you've got when they announce the team sheet. Every week, whatever's in your mind, what you'd like the team sheet to be like, it's the exact opposite. And come 2pm on a Saturday, you're just thinking the worst thing every week but in terms of the actual performance yesterday as you mentioned yesterday Matt we saw six or seven good individual performances but not quite clicking as a collective I'm sure that'll follow once we gather momentum picking up wins along the way but uh, Brian Graham yesterday was outstanding passed a late fitness test and was carrying an knock and he said in his Jag Zone interview he was meant to just play 60 minutes but he was chasing down every ball he was chasing guys back to the halfway line 
And as you've seen from his goal and then Spittle's goal, he's the most passionate player I've seen at Fisso in a long, long time. I think he just loves being here. Darren Brownlee was an absolute monster yesterday. Won every aerial duel. Was just solid, mate. There's not a, there's not a better centre-half in this league by miles, mate. He's, he's quality. Spittle, different class once again. He's far too good for this level. I just hope we're able to extend his loan deal uh, in December, January time. And as Jamie touched on, Foster looked off the pace again. There was one instance where he must have planted his foot in the turf and he just he keeled over like an old age pensioner. And Edry almost done us on the break. And it just, I just feel like Williamson would give us a better outlet on that right hand side. Blair Lyons off the bench, I thought, looked exciting when he wasn't falling over. Uh, very tricky and he's different than we have. And I know he did run into the right back a couple of times, but he'll get better with match sharpness. So that'll come. J- Jamie was touching on Shea Gordon's came in for a bit of stick recently from fans and he's often used as a scapegoat but I thought he was great yesterday he stretched the game so well and he linked up great with Brian Graham same with Penrice he looked much more assured yesterday and he always makes himself available to carry the ball up the left hand side when there's nobody else on for a pass but in terms of the actual the game of course Erdry had their chances they were lopping balls into the box and long throws at the end and on another day they could have equalised but on that same day that on the other day, we could score three and four. Spittles unlucky not to be walking away with two under goals, and Conor Murray's unlucky not to have opened his Fissel account, being denied by a great save from Max Curry. But at the end of the day, it's three points, and that's all that matters. Manfred, I'll come to you next. I think Jamie and Reese both touched on Foster starting over Williams in there. We mentioned on last week's episode about do we need two sitting midfielders? We've got two sitting midfielders, and I think that's going to be the case long term. So perhaps we could afford a more attacking right back at the expense of Foster. I'm going to come to you about the three that played behind the striker. We had Spittle, Murray and Gordon. None of whom are out-and-out wingers, you'd say. So we, we did look quite narrow yesterday. What did you make of the shape that we played? I thought we started decent enough. It's, Spittle came in off the left, didn't he? For the our second goal. So we yeah, he went off the left for the goal, yeah. But they were like kind of just interchanging among each other, weren't they? Because Gordon, like we were speaking about last week, he picked up a few times and those positions that just the late runs he makes and two or three times he was in those positions and he actually got the ball and the goal came from him just making a late run. He, he was onside. I'm surprised that it got even allowed because the defender plays him on is at the opposite side of the park and that's one of them that the you normally a linesman just looks across, sees an attacker two yards ahead of every other defender and doesn't notice the one that's playing everybody on. That's just our type of luck. That's the type of breaks we need. Even our goal, our second goal, Spittle, who I thought was immense yesterday. Murray, I thought was really good as well. One thing I liked that you touched on about Graham, one thing I noticed so much was see the amount of times when somebody would lose the ball and the amount of times you've seen players just jog back or just like trod back. The amount of times I've seen somebody lose the ball and within five seconds or sprinting across the park to, like it's just the small things that you're like right they're giving everything they can like that's the type of stuff we've missed that's the type of stuff people would oh you lose the ball or oh, that's that's it gone but obviously when Lyons came on he didn't really he, apart from fall over didn't really do much you, you can tell he's still trying to get up to match fitness I really like the look of Murray but personally I'd like a winger in there like a Lyons but how it is the now it's fine David, Kieran Wright came in for his Thistle debut yesterday. Jamie Snedden, who's impressed in recent weeks, was injured. And Reese Breen came back in for his first appearance since, in, since the St Mirren defeat, where he did look a bit shaky. 
He replaced Kieran McKenna. I believe Jamie Snedd and Kieran McKenna are both going for scans on injuries. Uh, how do you think they did yesterday? You know, I, obviously, you know, I think we'd all prefer Snedd and then the goal, but he, he made an all right account of himself. I felt that I was surprised that he, he was he was actually okay yesterday. I, I, I don't think he really had any major incidents. Um, uh, Breen, on the other hand, wasn't really good at all. Um, he, he had moments where it was just you know, uh, you know, defensive errors all over the place and stuff like that, that it made us a lot more shaky than we needed to be at the back. By the end, he was literally just punting every ball into the Jack husband, which, in all honesty, there is a role for a player like that. The last five, ten minutes, who just completely disrupts the flow of play and just makes it impossible for them to do anything just because it just keeps going into the Jack husband. But you could see that with that, that a lot of it was just didn't really know what to do in terms of how to, you know, uh, start start a player in fact or play it out from the back or whatever. Breeden, yeah, there's a lot of question mark. I, you know, it's early days, you know, in terms of these you know, the first games that these guys are playing. But I would say I was a lot more happy with Wright than I was Breen. There could be something there. I, I do, I do enjoy a, a good shit house time waster who will just punt balls away and just make opponents' lives really hard, but. I think Breen needs a lot of fine-tuning before he becomes that sort of person. I thought Breen yesterday, he was decent enough defensively, but any time he got the ball, it was pretty much just if and down, get it out. Like, there is time, there, there is need for that. Like, there, like, there's nothing wrong with that, but at times it was literally, we were getting the ball back just to punt it away. I would go with McKenna beside Brownlee. Like, Brownlee is... Like, I, Miles ahead of what this league is. Like Brownlee will is miles the best centre half in this league. Even when we signed him in the championship from Queen of South, I was still a bit like, well, how we men managed to sign him because he was still one of the best defenders in the in the league when we got him from Queen of South. I'd say Brownlee beside either O'Ware, who is back in training, which is a good thing, or McKenna, the core we need to build upon, and then Sned. I personally always go with Sned. Not right, didn't do anything wrong yesterday, but Sneddon, I, I want is our number one just to get a good run of games. I hope the scans for McKenna and Sneddon aren't anything major, but it's un- I, like one game has gone by and we've lost two players. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's something that it can't be right. Like, I know we touched on it last week, but that, that, like, what, what, what do they do? Like, genuinely, they have two players out for scans. Obviously, it could be absolutely nothing. And we could have a whole squad, even running for next Saturday. But it's like just just the, the fact that there's a, even a risk after one game. Just touching on that matter too. Um, see with uh, yesterday with Breen, like I, I quite like a player who will just put into touch. Like no nonsense defender. I find out get out. Like I feel Adam Muirhead was a bit like that for us, and I loved Muirhead. But with his Breen, I think you just need to be a bit more. It's just a bit of an experience coming in. You need to be a bit more tactically aware. Like. Erdo were playing for long throws, they were lumping balls into the box and the last five minutes he must have gave them a good six, seven long throws to just put us right under great pressure and I just think like, I don't think Wiesbreen was terrible and in the, in the grand scheme of things we've got Brownlee, McKenna and Aware all in front of him as a fourth choice centre-half I don't think he's terrible, it's just a lack of experience and that he'll get he'll get better with age and by no means I don't think he's a terrible centre-half and at the end of the day he'll get better and he'll learn from that and I'm sure McCall will be on his case about that because McCall mentioned that in his Jags on interview. 
Reese, I know you said I, I know you said earlier on the podcast that you thought Brownlee was a, a monster yesterday, and I know you tweeted that last night, and a couple of people said, "Oh, what about this? What about that?" But I think Brownlee was good because he wasn't only playing his own game; he was covering for Breen quite a lot as well yesterday. And I think you mentioned as well, Reese. I think I may have been in the group chat. You said that we are a League One team now. There's going to be no perfect performances. A centre back that makes just one or just two mistakes in a game that's still going to be a good performance at League One level because you're not going to get punished for every single mistake you make at this level. One or two mistakes is expected, and I think that's what you got from Brownlee yesterday. But compared to Breen, who made maybe six or seven mistakes, Brownlee did stand out, and he would, I was really impressed with Brownlee yesterday. But I think the quicker we get McKenna back in, the better, because I think Brownlee and McKenna had formed quite a decent partnership. Earlier in the week, David Forrest spoke to Jamie Durant, a reporter from the Press and Journal newspaper and a contributor to the Northern Goal podcast to get the lowdown on Saturday's opponents, Cove Rangers. So yeah, now I'm joined by Jamie Durant from the Press and Journal and Evening Express, also a contributor to the Northern Goal podcast to discuss our upcoming game with Cove Rangers. So Jamie, hello, how are you? I'm not so bad, David. How about yourself? I'm not too bad, apart from calling them Cove Ravers a second ago. <laughs> First of all, we'll just get into Cove Rangers' recent form. Obviously, in the League Cup, they had a group with Hibs, Dundee, Broda and Forfa, I believe. Yes. And as well as their opening two games of the league season. So how how have they been doing? They've been, uh, they've been great, really. I mean, they've kind of just continued off, kind of continued on, sorry, where they left off last season. I mean, the, the Hibs game was obviously, it was a massive game for their club, given it was the first ever televised home fixture and obviously it was a shame given the circumstances were in that there was kind of no supporters available but it was the first kind of competitive game in in seven months and to take the lead and play as well as they did against one of the informed teams in the premiership I think that spoke volumes for the kind of the progress that's been made there um they made a, a couple of changes through at Brora the following Tuesday and they had a little bit of a, a wobble but they won on penalties and then coming to the start of the league season against East Fife it was it was a good test for them because the East Fife were established at kind of League One level, and in Darren Young, they've got a manager who's obviously done well with them over the last few seasons. And while the kind of the sending off in the first half did kind of change the change the game a wee bit in Cove's favour, they they never looked too flustered by kind of anything that was in, in front of them, and they were kind of quite controlled with the way they played. And the surface uh, the surface at Cove obviously kind of helps them. Um, and I was at the game at the weekend up at Peterhead. Um, different type of game conditions up there are never kind of favourable really for kind of getting the ball down and and kind of playing it's not just kind of on the surf like on the surface of the pitch but also with the weather conditions as well um, it was kind of very windy um, as it always tends to be up at Peterhead but uh, there's it, it a different type of game it required a different type of performance and they kind of they ground it out really and that's that was kind of the feedback I got afterwards is that it showed a different side to them that they were able to kind of grind out these results that um, even when I say if it's not a pretty game and you're not playing well that they can still kind of come away from from the game with all three points so it's about as about as good a start to the season as they could have hoped for yeah I think I think the thing for ourselves um, obviously like for Fisk and stuff like that is Cove kind of very much where the sort of unknown factor where obviously they'd kind of dominated League 2 last year and obviously came up for, from the Highland League and they've just continued this trajectory and do they have a, like, a five-year plan to be in the championship, the premiership, or is it just a case of we just keep going to... What do what is the feeling that their level is in terms of where do you think their ceiling is? 
Yeah, they do have a, a kind of a five-year plan. They kind of set that out, I think, kind of heading up into the SPFL at the start of, at the start of last season. And the ultimate goal, I think, is to be aiming towards the championship and being a full-time club as well is in their kind of future. I think from speaking to the chairman over the summer, he kind of said that they were ahead of schedule with the plan because I don't think they were aiming to kind of get promoted in their first year in the SPFL, so kind of come ahead of time a little bit. And in some respects, the kind of the pandemic and the way it's kind of affected everything hasn't kind of disrupted that plan too much because they can kind of be fairly flexible with it. Um, they've got a number of guys here that have kind of been professional players before that have played at kind of premiership and championship level. And I think you've kind of seen this summer with a few of the recruits that they're making. These guys have kind of been brought in with maybe a view to them going full-time within the next couple of years. Guys like kind of Seb Ross and Adam Livingston, who were full-time at Aberdeen and Motherwell last season, that have kind of dropped down to, to League One level. I think a lot of it has come down to, to the contacts that they've got, particularly with as far as the manager, um, Paul Hartley, and the assistant, Gordon Young, is concerned. I mean, you, there's a few guys that, are, that have known Gordon from when he used to work at, at Motherwell because he was in the he was like the head of youth, I think, there at one point. Um, so he's kind of come across guys like Adam Livingston, um, Jamie Semple, who's obviously signed on loan this season. Um, they had a, signed a young lad, Tom Layton, at the turn of the year, who was at, Watford um, but had started out in the youth teams at Motherwell and as far as like kind of other players concerned Seb Ross coming from Aberdeen is he's able to stay local he signed a kind of a three-year contract with with Cove um, so it's a it's a good chance for him to kind of go out and play a good level of football while while kind of remaining in an area that he's obviously he's kind of quite familiar with um, and then on top of that it's it's guys that have kind of come across the club before that have kind of been around for a for a good number of years. I mean, they've they've been fortunate this summer that maybe in kind of comparison to some of the other teams at this level, they've kept the majority of their squad in place for this season. So there's not been kind of a a mad rush to kind of go out and try and assemble a squad together that you've you've maybe seen at other places like Queen of the South, for example, or something like that. They've had kind of guys that have that have kind of been around the club that have been part of successful teams that that know how know how the club works which is it's going to be beneficial and it's it's players that have played at this level before it's not just like guys that are coming up to this level for the first time you've got guys like Fraser Fivey like Jamie Masson um Mitch Meginson and there's like three of them there's four or five guys that have played at Pete, for Peterhead for a good number of years at this level as well so it's just a case of them stepping back up to that level again they already know what it takes to to play at this level. So the squad kind of, it didn't need too much kind of major surgery, just kind of one or two tweaks here and there. And I think uh, kind of Paul Harley's kind of quite happy with, with what he's put in place. Then on kind of decent length contracts as well, those kind of guys are going to be part of the, the kind of the blueprint for the, for the future for Cove. Um, and so while it is kind of still early days this season, so a lot kind of pretty much everyone you speak to there that's they'll always say kind of the first aim is kind of consolidation and make sure that the stay in this division at least for next season um there's also a belief that they've got quality within the team to to kind of go up and challenge around the playoff places um obviously you mentioned about uh about they had a bit of difficulty at peterhead because obviously the wind and it's just been a bit of a a rough and tumble game. This this league league one is, is generally regarded as a bit of a like it, it is very tough and you will have lots of sluggish games that are 
a bit of a slog, to be honest. They struggled with it because they weren't used to playing it. So do do you see Cove for, uh, playing a bit more expansive football and, you know, just the way they play and stuff like that, just being a bit more pretty on the eye, so to speak? I think particularly at home, there's an impetus on them to do that because they're familiar with the surface there, which, so obviously, kind of a lot of leagues you go, then you kind of do tend to find a few more artificial surfaces than the, you do up the up the divisions. But Cove train on it twice a week and then play on it every other Saturday. Um, it's quite a kind of wide, kind of expansive pitch. So they're used to, they're used to that surface and what they can do on it. And they do they do move the ball about kind of fairly quickly. And it is it is kind of a, a it is a, an attractive kind of style of football to watch. And they were kind of I'm sure they were among the kind of the top scorers in in League Two last season. And they've got guys that know how to find the back of the net. Um, I think it was picked up a couple of times last season by one or two of the players that on a couple of services away from home that they did struggle a bit when pitches weren't great. I think um, down at Albion Rovers in particular, I think they'd lost a couple of leads there and managed to kind of fight back to kind of retain kind of a point out of the game. Um, there was a game up at Elgin as well where they were beaten 3-0 um, where they'd got off to a slow start on a kind of a pitch that wasn't great and couldn't find a way back into it. Um, but by and large, they're able to kind of go out and, and impose themselves on games. They're not a team that um, that's kind of in their DNA to sit back and, and kind of absorb and counter and kind of be kind of quite restrictive. I mean, I, I thought that's how they might play against Hibs in the Betfred Cup, but they went, they stuck to their guns and played the way they know how to play at home, which is trying to be on the front foot and, and take the game to to opponents, which I think you will you will see probably the majority of games this season because it's what Cove know how to do best and it's where the strengths lie. And um, is there any one sort of key target threat that Fissle should be looking out for um, on Saturday? I mean, it's hard to look past Mitch Meganson because of his, his goal-scoring records at the minute and a lot of the kind of good work in the in the final third does go through him. Um, I've been... Particularly over the kind of the last year or so, I've been really impressed with Jamie Masson, who kind of tends to play wide on the left and cutting inside, but he's played a little bit more centrally um, at the start of this season. So it may that may be an option for, for Paul Hartley come Saturday. Um, and there's another another guy that I've that I've seen as well over the last couple of years in Harry Milne, who's he's their left back, but he's one that's kind of come through the team all the way through the Highland League and someone that was kind of thought of when he was younger that. He could quite comfortably adjust to playing at SPFL level. I think he's, he's either 22 or 23 now, and he's he's certainly shown say, no no kind of signs of struggling at all at this level. He scored his first goal of the season on on Saturday up at Peterhead. He's someone that likes to get forward on the left-hand side, and he's someone that's it's certainly rated very highly at, at Cove. And again, if he's working with Jamie Masson down the, down the kind of left-hand side, the two of them seem to have struck up a, a good understanding and a good partnership together. One final question I wanted to ask just in general about Cove's ascension up the leagues and the Highland League in general. Obviously, we're seeing quite a lot of movement in the Lowland League and the west of Scotland in terms of lots of like junior teams coming in and non-league. And obviously, you've got teams like Rodan that knocking on the door. Do do you feel we'll see an influx of more Highland League teams in the sort of lower leagues, or what are your thoughts on it? I th- I think the they'll certainly be pushing for it. Um. This, I think there's certainly the quality there to to try and 
to try and push into the SPFL. Um, I've spoken to quite a few people at Brora over the summer when there was obviously all the discussions about reconstruction and their hopes of getting into the league. Um, they certainly felt they had a, a valuable case to get in and and certainly amongst themselves and, and Kelty Hearts, they felt hard done by with the way the pyramid playoffs were kind of discarded really in the in the whole shake up of things. Um and I think they proved they proved in cup games over the last couple of years that they were able to, to kind of hold their own against SPFL clubs. Um but out with Brora, there's there's teams up at the top of the table, like you've got teams like Fraserburgh, um, Inverurie Locos, um, that would that would kind of probably love the chance to to at least compete for a for a chance in the SPFL. And and certainly you've seen some of the bigger moves in the Lowland League this summer as well. Um with obviously there's a couple of ex Thistle guys that have ended up at East Kilbride as well that yeah. um who obviously they had a they had a couple of near misses in the past of of trying to get promoted. And Kelty Hearts you'd imagine would be up there again with the with the amount that they've invested. Um I've been hugely in favour of the kind of the pyramid system since it since it came in, given that it's it's shaken up um it's shaken up the process a little bit and probably given some teams in League Two a little bit of a a little bit of a rocket really that they can't just afford to sit and be comfortable if they're struggling, that they've got to kind of try and make changes to get themselves out of trouble. Um because there are a number of ambitious clubs in the leagues below that want to progress and are investing in the necessary steps to do so. And I think that can only be a positive for the Scottish game, that you have got a progressive attitude among a number of clubs that, that want to be part of the SPFL and want to want to kind of compete at the highest level possible. And I think that so that can only be applauded from from my own point of view. The examples are there of like Cole, for example, but I mean you look at like Ross County and Inverness, I mean they in my lifetime they were both Highland League teams. They came up at the they came up at the same time as um Inverness, so in 1994, um, it was Peterhead and Elgin came up in 2000. Elgin have, have found it difficult to try and get out of the division. I think they've they've been in League Two or Division the old Division Three as it was for their entirety of their SPFL existence. Um, with Peterhead have kind of toed and froed between League One and and League Two. Um, but yeah, like you say, Cove's an example there. I mean, the top two in League Two last season were Cove and Edinburgh City, two the two teams that have been promoted through the SPFL pyramid playoffs so there's an example there of, of what can be done for for these clubs and particularly if clubs in the highland and lowland league have brought in these players already that have got experience of playing at a higher level then the step up is maybe not going to be as great for these guys which is say as you've seen with cove they've already got guys who've played at the spfl level and have adjusted fine you think it would be the same if for these clubs uh, are like the likes of Kelty and, and East Kilbride, if they were coming up through the Lowland League into the playoffs, then it would be a, I think it would be a good a good test for them. Finally, obviously this is a official podcast, but you can be as negative as you like. <laughs> Predictions for this on Saturday. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a two-two draw. I think it'll be I think it'll be entertaining. I think Cove will obviously try to to kind of play on the front foot. I think there there will be an obvious respect there that they're coming up against one of the three full-time teams in this league and a team that obviously has ambitions to to get back up to where they were but i think the way cove are playing just now they'll they'll cause any team um problems as they as they've kind of showed against hibs so i think it'll be an entertaining game and i think unlike kind of quite a lot of teams last season i don't think um thistle will come up and and sit in and kind of try and protect what they've got i think 
they will kind of come up and have a go, um, which I say it could make for a pretty entertaining game on Saturday afternoon. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to it. But, um, thank you very much, Jimmy, for your time. Not a problem at all, David. We're obviously away to Cove Rangers next weekend. Another big game, another game against a team who we suspect might be up there challenging with us for the title next season. What changes would you like to see to the team next week? I know McCall's a manager who likes to just keep, if he's in a, a winning frame of mind, he'll keep the same squad. But um, as far as next week goes, it's it's hard to see how he's going to approach it because you're away from home against a team who at the minute are top of the league. And as we've mentioned a good few times now, they're a bit of an unknown. We don't really know where Cove Rangers' ceiling is. Um, but they have looked good at the start of the season. So will we go up there and sit in? I don't, I don't think so. Will we go and try and get them on the counter? Maybe. So you could see a winger or two coming in, perhaps Lions or Murray will be put out wide with spit on the middle. We don't know yet. Um, but at the same time, I think he could keep the same same team. So it's it's touch and go. I don't really know what McCall will go for. Um, Senna could come in, shore up the midfield a bit, another man in midfield and just sit in. But who knows? One thing I would say for next week, even though I would personally want Williamson to start. Ah, that's a game that I would start Foster, just because he will be better defensively. Because I think away to Cove and probably to Falkirk will be the only games this season where you look at it and they're like, right, we may actually have to take a step back here. Whereas all the other games you'd expect us just to go to like other places. Because Cove have started off like really well. They're the only team in the league with two out of like, two wins. Everybody's dropped points like so far. And like no like we show us in. Nobody knows how to approach going to the as an away game. Manfred, can I just come back to you on that? I know you said Foster, you'd like to see him play next week because you think he's the better defender. Do you think he's the better defender on paper? Are you judging that on this season's form? Because I know we were having a chat yesterday about who is the better defender. And I don't think Foster has looked good defensively this season. I know that's why he's been brought in. Thomas play a bit like a third centre-half, really, not really marauding forward that much. And I don't think he's looked strong defensively. I think, if anything, I know he gets a bit of stick off fans, but I'm, again, a bit confused about this. I think James Penrice has looked like our best defensive fullback this season. I think his defensive play has improved a lot. I thought he was really good yesterday. And I know there were a few tweets going about saying he can't defend, which I thought was baffling. I thought he was really good yesterday. But do you think Foster is a better defensive option than Williamson based on this season? Based off this season, probably not. Like Foster hasn't been good enough in either game yet, like even yesterday. But what you're saying, Matt, Williamson's not really had a run of games to even like see how he how he is defensively or anything. I'm just going off like Foster should be the better defender, like on paper. But the amount of times we've said we look so good on paper and it, it's not panned out, which I think Foster so far has fallen that route. But hopefully. It's just him getting up to match fitness and it's not him actually being bad. I, I, I was going to say, actually, in terms of like Foster Williamson, I mean, I remember the first couple of games where Williamson played. I mean, specifically, he played against St Mirren, didn't he? Uh, um, in the first game. And I know St Mirren's a bit of an outlier because it's a premiership team and obviously the first game in seven months and all that. But, I mean, Williamson wasn't exactly sparkling in that game either. I, mean, I think we, we all kind of agreed that he was the, the worst player of that game. So, I mean... It's kind of like I'm. I'm kind of with Manpreet in the sense that on paper Forster should be, you know, a better a better defender than Williamson. Obviously, Williamson gives us a wee bit going forward, which Forster really doesn't. But 
I, I don't know. I, I still feel that we, we've got a performance to see from Foster at some point, but it is tough because Foster really has underperformed, but Williamson hasn't exactly pulled the rabbit out of the hat every time that he's played either. It's just it's one of those difficult things where you know one of them's got to come good at some point. It's just kind of putting your faith in one of them. And to be honest, I, I am kind of leaning more now towards putting your faith in Williamson over Foster um, in that sense because... Yeah, Foster's performances haven't been that great. Uh, Jamie, Manpreet mentioned there about Rudden's fitness and the fitness of others on the team. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Firstly, how important was Brian Graham returning to the side? I know we've sort of t- talked quite a lot about the defence there, but how important was he at the other end of the pitch? And with sort of Zach Rudden's fitness coming under question, and obviously uh, Salim's out injured at the moment as well, and he's not scored yet, uh, do you think the squad does need another striker added to it? Uh, if anything, just to take the burden off uh, Brian Graham for scoring goals up front? Uh, well, Brian Graham coming back after suspension was just it was huge for us. Such a big player on the side and it was crucial we held on to him in the summer. He did what he does best yesterday. Um, he held the ball up, flipped it on at points, joined up some of the link-up play. Like recent man pre-mentioned earlier, he chases down bottles all the time, puts pressure on the opponents and obviously he got his goal. He's that player who can kind of heave teammates out of a ditch and make sure they know what's at stake. He's vocal on the pitch. He's a leader, which is great on our side. It's something we've been missing for quite a long time. He's also, it's even more crucial now with Rudden's fitness becoming a big issue that he's in the side and he's staying uh, on form and staying fit. And we've heard that Rudden's been away for a scan and they're hoping it's not anything too serious. But I don't know how much of a risk we can actually take on Rudden now. He seems to just keep picking up more and more injuries, just hampering his season. I mean, what if he gets an injury? It keeps him out for like months or even the season at worst. I mean, what are we relying on Graham and uh, Salim to carry the uh, carry the torch for us the rest of the season? Obviously, you can rely on Graham, but I mean, Kudasai has not exactly looked like he's... I mean, he's not looked bad, but it's not looking like we can rely on him for lots of goals this season. So, I mean, we've got to make sure that it doesn't end up becoming another injury crisis. I mean, look what happened last time we had an injury crisis. We got relegated from the Premiership. Obviously, I'm not saying we'll get relegated. I mean... It could just really hamper our season, and that could be a difference between us going up. So we've got to make sure this doesn't happen. We don't want to have a repeat of Clyde where we're, you know, shoehorning lions up top. We've got to make sure we cover all eventualities we're running, and probably looking like McCall's going to have to maybe dip into the loan market, bring someone else in to make sure that we're not short on numbers. I mean, it's ridiculous we're even saying this short on numbers. It looked like at the start of the season the squad was, you know, perfect for going into the season. I don't have any complaints about it. Definitely didn't like we needed to bring in another striker, but. Now this has happened, Rudden's fitness is big question marks over that now. And it's a real shame though, because ever since he signed, injuries have just completely stopped Zach Rudden from ever getting a proper run on the side. The only time he did was literally just before the football went off, so we've never actually got to see him really show what he can give to the side. And it's just really frustrating, but we, I don't think we can take a big risk on hoping that he's not going to get injured again, because his track record for us, fitness-wise, is not shining by any means. What really gives me the fear is the thought of Brian Graham picking up an injury. If Brian Graham go- gets out injured, we are so, so fucked, mate. Like, he's such a leader. He, he leads by example. Like, there was an incident yesterday where Kieran Wright had a punt upfield and it was a bad kick. And without complaining, Graham just chased the ball. I think he actually won as a throw-in. And then he started screaming at Kieran Wright. And years gone by, you'd look at Kenny Miller. Kenny would just throw his hands up and start moaning straight away. Brian's first instinct is to chase the ball win us the ball back and then he'll go after the player and he'll give him a bit but like it's constructive criticism he just he cares so much about the team like you see as I mentioned he's so passionate like he's seen both his goals he's screaming at like the rest of his teammates like 
and celebration. He's just, I can't believe how good he's been for us. Like he's just such a focal point. When we signed him, like I knew he'd get us goals and that, but I didn't think he'd be so influential to just everything. Mate, he's spearheading our whole team. He's the manager of the women's team and everything. I just think he's he fell in love with the club a bit, man. He's, I just think he's happy and he's making Fussell fans happy. So it's only a good recipe. If Graham anything happens to him, we are proper fucked. Like the, the difference he makes is unbelievable. Like you were saying, this with the the constructive criticism for the goalkeeper, like that that's the type of stuff that we were doing yesterday. Like people were forgetting, weren't just pointing fingers at the first opportunity. They were doing their job, winning the ball back, winning a throw, and then saying like, "Come on, you need to be there. You need to do this. You need to do that." One thing I would say that I liked yesterday was a with Brian Graham when he went down. It's, it was a scumbag move, but it's what we need to do. Just he laid down, uh, holding his head. There was nothing in it. It was pretty much. I, I don't even think his head got hit, but that's the type of stuff that we need to do. Just stop an opposition account attack. It's not. Is it sportsmanship? No. But does that matter? No. Like we need to start doing things like that just to disrupt the play, tactical fouls time-wasting, just anything you can to get results and hopefully people look at Graham doing that yesterday and think that there's got to be other ways you can loophole and stop an opposition counter-attack because the other were on a decent attack and Graham just lay on the deck and you could hear it, the bench just shouting head knock and two seconds later Graham's back up and on sprinting about and it's that, that's the type of stuff you actually put a smile on my face because so many teams have done it to us on the years and we've been pure soft thistle, but hopefully this is us putting that siege mentality that we were all talking about at the start of the season in. And need to do, at the end of the day, what we can to get the three points. And if it's stuff like that, I'm all for it. If it's, obviously, I'm not one for diving, but if, if it's... There's been times over the years where we've tried... There's been players like Dylan, especially with all we're trying to do in his feet. If you can, in this league, get a penalty by... Over that exaggerating something, you need to do it because people will do it against us firsthand. I think you make some interesting points there, man. Like, I think we have been too soft, and the softness does come from it's like no game management and not being sort of street smart to the sort of wee tricks. And I think Bannigan's good at it throughout the years, but it's like for the last two or three years, I can't think of many other players. Graham's obviously the main one now, like, as you said, but I can't think of too many players who. I don't know, stop quick free kicks, will take a tumble, will do things to disrupt the play. And I, you, you can obviously debate, oh, is diving right, stuff like that. But like the sort of street smart and game management, definitely. Brian Graham is like a master of and really important for us. On you go, David. I was going to say, the only one that, I, that kind of struck out to me with that would be um, Scott McDonald was very much that. I mean, it was an absolute majesty to sit and watch him get the opposite side of the goal and just sit and watch him winding up defenders by doing those sort of things. And to be honest, I think, in this league, this whole league is based on that. This whole league is not silky football. This whole league is scrapping and battling to get points because every team will lose points. And it's wee things like this that will win you the league. It's just things like that of going down and clearing balls and just taking the piss, so to speak, will end up with you getting a point somewhere because you've been hoofing the ball out or because you've um, you know, you've know, taken advantage of being down and stuff like that. As Manpreet said, they'll do it to us. We should do it to them because that I think that's going to be one of the big wake-up calls for us in this league is that we're going to get a lot of that against us, especially because we are the big fish, so to speak. 
whereby people will will do that against us and we need, we need to be able to do it as well. And in terms of Graham as well, like one of the things that I absolutely loved last year when he played was when you're at the ground, you could hear him in the crowd, like um giving orders and stuff like that and you know, shouting at people and stuff like that and giving constructive criticism. And it was it was really good. It, it made you feel better about the team, knowing you had a guy up front who genuinely cared and was trying to scrabble this team to do something, even if you felt... Because, I mean, at times, certainly in the relegation season, we you, you kind of felt at times that, that a lot of people had chucked it. And it, it's kind of reassuring to know that even in your sort of your darker moments, you've got a guy leading up front who isn't chucking it and is, is still trying to pull something out of the bag. And it is, it is very reassuring to know. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Graham. I think he's been fantastic. And even, not even necessarily just in terms of goals, just in terms of how he brings the team together and, you know, cheese them up. David, I'm going to come back just to you just while we were talking about uh, laws of the game and things like that. Do you think we got lucky yesterday with any refereeing decisions? I know a few Edry fans online were a bit upset. Um, I mean, with these these sort of things, I mean, I, I will say I had some issues with the stream, but I so I I kind of cut out at times, but I but specifically when it cut out at times, so me, Mark, and Matt were chanting each other on Skype, and it must have been about four times where when my stream was cut out, where Matt goes and another, and like I think we got a handball that wasn't given, and then there was a couple other fouls that you certainly in the, in the chat were very much. I'll claim um, threatened, David. I'll well, that, that is very true. Even in your room, uh, you will claim for something. But yeah, like um, no, we, we had a handball that was missed. I, I think these sort of things, it's kind of, it kind of comes back to the whole VAR argument in the sense that people want to have every decision go towards them. You don't want every decision to go against them. And I think the problem is is that we had decisions that went against us and they had decisions that went against us. It all comes out in the wash with these sort of things whereby you won't get a penalty but you'll get a penalty that maybe you shouldn't have or you'll you know, not get one that was a stone wall or whatever these sort of things I, I, I don't know It's obviously it's part time officials you, you know it's not their full time job and um, there's only so much that they can do they are human obviously and I, 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 I don't really um, it, 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 it swings both ways and it's just a case of you always pick up on the ones that went against you if you know what I mean um, so no, I mean, I, I don't think we were necessarily lucky in the same way that I don't think that Airdrie were necessarily lucky that no, we didn't catch the handball that they did. It's part and parcel of the game, and um, it is what it is. You know, what I mean, we'll, we'll get them, we won't get them. It, you know, the world keeps turning. I agree. Um, see, see, yesterday, see, watching it, like with Reese Breen's tackle for the penalty, my first reaction was that's a stonewall penalty. But see, seeing it back a couple of times, and I've zoomed in on it. Breen hits the deck and he's down for a couple of seconds before the guy even gets to him. Like, like the guy runs over his leg, so I don't even think it was a penalty. Uh, they obviously thought we were offside for uh, Brian Graham's goal, but seeing the replays back, we were well onside. And they keep posting stuff, like Erdry posts stuff on Twitter saying controversial winner from Fissel and that. Of course it might look like that, but I don't think there was really any controversy in it. And you get lucky and on another day we could have picked, racked up the, the yellow cards because... Talking about uh, the shithousery again, Ross Doherty in the 91st minute, we had a break and Erdre won a foul from it. Ross Doherty ran 80 yards of the pitch to get in the ref's face. He then dragged the ball forward 10 yards and I'm like, he's just gave them 10 yards for a free kick and the referee brought it back, told the Erdre keeper to bring it back and the keeper was fuming. And uh, Foster was taking ages with throw-ins and there was an Erdre coach at the side who was screaming at the ref. 
So on another day, they could pick up yellow cards, but that's just game management. That's just that's having the tactical awareness. So it's did we get lucky yesterday? I don't think so. And as David said, these things even themselves out. Like years gone by, I don't think they do because I feel like if Fissel didn't have bad luck, we'd have no luck at all. But let's just hope our luck's changing this year. Jumping in on what Reese said about game management, another thing I noticed yesterday was just to slow the game down. I think it was Brian Graham. I think he got booked for it. The goalkeeper was about to punt the ball away and just stuck his foot out in front of it just to slow the game down and let us get back in. And I, we just did a couple of things like that. And then later on in the game, James Penrice booted the ball into the stands to slow it down. He got booked for it as well. Just small things like that, just to slow the slow the game down. Just making it, It's just the things we haven't done over the last couple of years, apart from basically Bannigan, who gets booked all the time because he's the only one that's really done it. It's just good to see the players are actually finally... They're kind of catching on to the fact that that's a good way to get your games. It's not the best thing to watch, but it's a good thing to get your games. And it's actually satisfying for the fans to see that happen. I'm sure Jamie just mentioned there that some of the antics we're up to in the second half isn't the best to watch. I know there were a few fans moaning that it wasn't the most exciting one yesterday, even though we did win. So I'm going to ask you two questions. Does entertainment matter this season? Is winning the games enough? And we obviously talked about Ian McCall's position last week. Uh, where do you think he stands now? Do you think he's now he's got that first win? That'll be it'll calm down for a bit, or do you think it'll just heat up again, again if we lose on Saturday? I would say the the McCall like his job and all that is actually annoys me talking about it two games into the season. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> like we've got arguably the best manager we possibly could for the level we're at, and people are talking about him getting sacked after the first game that we lost, like, yesterday was almost like a slap in the face and as soon as them, them scoring was almost as if, like, because I'd say we started well so we'd got, we'd reacted to the slap in the face with Clyde should probably have scored the one that Gordon scored to Murray and then they scored and then it was almost as if just a click happened and from there we were dominant but the McCall play style so I, I know he said that he, he likes to play or he wants to play nice football and make for whole like like get the jack up and stand with in yellow again well like is what he's been saying from the football I'm not really fussed about how we play obviously if we are winning 2-1 against a team who's going to be up there with us like yesterday if we do decide to go maybe not anti-football but if we do need to do what St Johnston are pretty much have made their club all about time-wasting and taking all these wee quick free kicks blocking. If we need to do that to get wins, I don't care how we play. When we can play, like I expect us to start games looking to play football and looking to take the game to teams and then say the final 15, if it is only 2-1, you bring on Senna, you time-waste, you take tactical fouls. It's not the prettiest, but as long as it gets the results, then that's, that's all that matters at the end of the day, isn't it? I was going to say on that point about, you know, sexy football, so to speak, like, one of the sort of defining things of our premiership tenure was that we actually, we played quite good football, we were able to hold the ball up and stuff like that, and we actually played quite all right football, and never really got the plaudits, we never really got, like, you look at, like, for example, in the season that uh, we got relegated, that was a season where we played quite decent football, we had some decent players and stuff like that, and we were quite pleasing on the eye, so to speak. And then you look at, if we get relegated, and then you look at, as Man Priest has seen Johnson, who famously at the time, if they went 1-0 up, you run the, you run the beating them, because they were just so resolute and concrete in their ability to hold on to your lead. 
and I think that we we kind of um, that that very much was a criticism of us in the Premiership se- seasons was that we played quite nice football, we just couldn't get results. And to be honest, it's a swing the other way it isn't necessarily going to be a bad thing. Yeah, it might be awful to watch. I mean, look at Scotland at the moment. Scotland are the exact same. Scotland don't really play pretty football, but they are really, really hard to break down, and they'll take a chance, and they will, they'll get, you know, they'll, they'll get, they get the goal, and they're like eight, eight games undefeated at this point. It, it does work, and to be honest, we need that. This is not the league for silky football. This is not the league to be playing nice games. It's it's not going to be nice. You're not going to get that. So there's no point. Like you, you might as well just go to the dark side, so to speak, because. That's just going to win you games. I think that's a really good point about uh, Scotland you made there, uh, David. I think we can sort of draw the parallels between that. Jamie, I'll come on to you. Um, I know you want to discuss a few comments you've seen across social media since yesterday's win. Go for it. Uh, yeah, we were obviously discussing this yesterday in the chat about how Penrice and Banzo were still coming under heat from people uh, after yesterday's game. I just don't understand it. I mean, Penrice had a good game yesterday. He was sore at the back. He was composed for the 90 minutes. He looks like he's come on defensively. Bannigan had a positive impact in the game yesterday. He broke up the play at points. He allowed Doc to play more freely. I mean, as we were saying, it's League One. I don't know what people are expecting to see, like Patrick Vieira in midfield. Bannigan's doing the job he needs to, helping us to get win, win games and get points. I just don't get it. I mean, we've also seen Alan Archibald coming under criticism today for the fitness of our squad. I don't see how this is his fault. I mean, like, I know it's very frustrating to see the injuries, but I know it's a concern, but no fan wants to see our players injured. But I don't see how Archie's to blame for this. If I've been honest, I think it's just an excuse to criticise him. I know people have opinions of him, but McCall's picked him to be part of his management and coaching team, so people constantly complaining about it isn't going to do anything. I mean, I'm happy to have him here. I just don't understand how he's to blame for players being injured. It's just a constant picking on certain players, constant moaning about them, even when we've got three points and... We played a lot better yesterday. And it's not even the players that are doing worse. Like, Reese Brune yesterday didn't have his best game. But I don't see people coming after him. People are going for Banzo and Penrice as, again. I mean, people shouldn't be going after Breen. That's not what I'm saying. It's just that you just see it's the same players that people blame all the time, even though they weren't the worst on the pitch. They played well. We shouldn't be going after players. You try encouraging the team instead of constantly going after the same players all the time. I'm not saying you should just happy clap everything and just pretend everything's good when it's not. But... Bannigan and Penrice are not to blame for what we are, why we are where we are. And they're having good games recently. And the complaints about Archibald to do with the fitness are just nonsensical. I just don't understand it. And it's just, it's just frustrating to see. And I think certain people are getting sick of seeing it. I know we aren't exactly having a great time listening to these people constantly going on about it. As always, thanks for listening to us on Draw, Lose or Draw. I've been Matt Greer and joining me this week have been Reese Haldane, Jamie McDonald, Manpreet Singh and David Forrest. We'll be back on Saturday with a Halloween special episode and then again on the following Tuesday reviewing our away game at Cove and previewing the home game against Falkirk the following weekend. As always, stay safe and wear a mask. <laughs>